final edition of the Battle of Ohio is underway this evening between the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And it coincides with, of course, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we bring you our weekly chat about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds, and we do that each and every week. And in order to do that, we've got to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm pretty good, David. And I just want to confirm, <clears throat> given our, our technology limitations here, you can hear me okay? I can hear you because, just fine. Okay. You, you were a little fuzzy there at the beginning. I just want to make sure our millions and millions of audience members can, can hear both of us. Yep, we're we're good. So, you know, the, I'll tell you one thing, Mark. Uh, as I look at this, unfortunately, the Reds fans are not going to get to see uh, one of their own play in this three-game series against them this week, and that is Edwin Encarnacion. Double E is out with a hand injury that he really sustained prior to the All-Star break, and he's been trying to play through it. But because they're in a National League city, of course, in Cincinnati, Terry Francona and the rest of the coaching staff decided that it was probably a pretty good idea that they just go ahead and put Edwin on the 10-day DL. So, unfortunately, Reds fans are not going to get to see Encarnacion this week. Well, that brings me to a question and and your opinion on this, because I I have certainly an opinion on it. When you have um, the the designated hitter (laughs) does not apply in the National League City, who do you think that helps more? Yeah, that's an it's an interesting question, isn't it? I, I mean, there, there's an argument for it both ways, but coming from an American League city, I I tend to slant towards the American League side and say that the National League has an advantage because they know how to play that style. They're they're used to playing that kind of style, and uh, you know they're they're good at it. They're better at it because the American League team only has to do it maybe 10 or 12 times a year. I agree with you. I, I think there's no disadvantage for the National League team going to an American League city because they pick up an extra bat. But even on the roster, you know, the, an American League roster, not that, you know, one person out of 25 can make that big a difference, but it does make a difference where, you you, you know, you, you bring up uh, the idea that uh, Encarnacion is not going to be available today. Well, you know, in, in a National League city, I don't think that would be much of a big deal as it would be for the Indians. I mean, they've got to come down there now and have two less hitters that they're normally having in their lineup, Encarnacion in this case because of an injury, and they normally have the DH in their lineup, which they will not have tonight. So I, I think it's a definite advantage uh, for the National League teams. Well, yeah, even if Encarnacion was able to play tonight, they would have to make a decision, Mark, on – do we play double E at first base or do we play Yonder Alonso at first base? So either way, the Indians would lose one of their power bats out of the lineup. Yeah, and I, again, I think you bring up a good point. Uh, the, the the National League teams are used to playing, obviously, with the pitcher batting ninth or eighth in the Reds' case, uh, and the American League cities have to make a bigger adjustment, adjustment. So, you know, I think advantage to the Reds this week, and they took two out of three from the Indians a couple of weeks ago, uh, I don't think they're going to do that again this time. But uh, I think the Reds have a chance to win one out of three this week. And uh, I think what Kluber's pitching Wednesday? Is Tuesday. Tuesday night. Tuesday. Uh, okay, Tuesday. Well, that goes to the Indians. But then you know, the Indians, there's not a big drop-off. I don't know who else is in the rotation. but Bieber Kluber's... will pitch on Wednesday night. Shane who? Bieber. Shane Bieber will be okay. pitching on Wednesday night. Yeah, and he was he was mentioned in trade talks. Uh, with yeah. a lot of teams, including the Reds. So it'd be kind of interesting to see how he does. But uh, at any rate, it should be an exciting series. And uh, I heard Tom Brenneman yesterday talking about the fact, and we've said this for for years, why in the hell don't they have the Indians and Reds <laughs> playing on a weekend? Have they been listening to us for the last three years? For crying out loud, Mark, we've been, we've been begging for that for the last three seasons. It's ridiculous. And when you look at around the country, all the other teams that have same city rivalries, like the Mets and the Yankees, and the Angels and the uh, and the Dodgers and Oakland and, and uh, San Francisco, they all play on the weekends uh, because you know, you're going to get sellouts. I, I, I don't know who 
Is it the teams that make this recommendation or suggestion a request of the league on scheduling? Because it makes no sense economically to do it that way, the way they're doing it. I mean, seriously, it would be, except for the fact that Jim Tomey, it was Jim Tomey night in Chicago over the weekend at White Sox Park, uh, Old Comiskey Park. Except for that, it would have been better for the Reds and Indians to have played this past weekend. It would have been a bigger payday for both ball clubs than the Indians going to Chicago and playing the White Sox over the weekend. Yeah, I don't know where, you know, this stuff comes from. Somebody, some human being, I would assume, is making this decision, but I'd love to hear their explanation of it because economically it makes no sense, and it hasn't made sense for, what, three or four years now. I've got it. I know who did it. It's the same 400-pound man sitting in his mother's basement that put together the Major League Baseball schedule. That's who did it, Mark. That's who did it. Yeah. We'll track him down. You know, but I want to bring up, the main thing I want to bring up tonight is a very interesting ball player. And due to the fact that Double E, Encarnacion, is on the DL, it has provided the Indians the opportunity to bring up Yandy Diaz for the second time this season. Mark, this kid, all he does is come up and hit the baseball. He did it two years ago. He didn't come up last year. He, he did towards the end of the season, hit the baseball then. Mark, he's played in five games. Now, he can only play first base or third base. He's not an outfielder, okay? Uh, so they would have to do some juggling if they wanted to get him into the lineup as far as positions are concerned, especially this week against the Reds with no DH. He's played in five games so far in his two call-ups. He's got 19 at-bats, Mark. Now, get this. I was wrong when I told you he was eight for – Eight for sixteen, eight for eighteen, in the in the hitting category. I was wrong. He's ten for nineteen. That that's what he is so far coming up. He's got. Well, no, what's wrong with him? I, you know, I honestly don't know. Other than the fact that he's got Jose Ramirez in front of him at third base, and who's going to knock Jose Ramirez right off the base? What the, are his just? What are his stats from the minor leagues the last couple of years? Uh, I'd have to take a look at those, but I know they're not as good as what he's been doing at the major league level. And, and you know, and they've got a scouting report. His OPS is 1.158. Now, you you know that better than I do as to whether that, that's good or not. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, but as as far as his uh, minor league stats are concerned, I'm, I've really got to go in and, and take a look at those because I don't have them. Well, what you're doing, at, if you don't have them, we'll, we'll talk about it, but – um, this is a small sample size, and there have been guys who yeah. come up and and had big, you know, statistical aberrations over a short uh, a short run. But if this guy has the minor league credentials to back him up, then you do wonder, uh, you know, how could they turn this asset into another player, another starting pitcher, an outfielder? You know, make a trade with the guy. But I, I wouldn't get overhyped over 19 at bats. I don't care how many hits he has. Oh sure. I mean, here. Okay, here's his career minor league stats. He he's got a career batting average of of 311, uh, an on base percentage of 413, a slugging percentage of 414, and an OPS of 827. Now he's played in uh, 516 games in the minor leagues, over 1800 uh, career at bats in the minor leagues. He's got 585 career hits. Uh, he's hit 26 homers, drove in 224 RBIs during his career in the minor leagues. So, you know, not too bad. And he's from Cuba. And, you know, th- those kids from Cuba, they tend to uh, – they're pretty good ball players. I mean, let, let's call it le- like it is. They're, they're normally pretty decent ball players. Well, again, I think it just speaks of the Indians' depth. I mean, those those minor league statistics you mentioned are really strong. And uh, people forget when you, when you develop and when you sign young players, uh, you, you do so obviously with the hope that they're going to help your team, but they can be, they can also bring a lot of other talent from other teams in trades, and that's it's, that's how and why you grow and develop the minor league players that you have is to take that talent and turn it into something that can help you that year or, you know, sometime in the future. So uh, with those kinds of numbers, you think they have a pretty good asset there. Unfortunately, he's a first baseman, and that is the least 
Yeah, uh, first uh, third baseman. Yeah, he's he's primarily a third baseman. But they okay, did have him. Me, yeah, they did have him playing first a couple of years ago. If if he can play third, that's different. But very very few first basemen are signed out of the minor leagues in the first round. It's usually second, third, fourth round that first basemen are are taken. And I think Joey Votto is a second round pick as an example, and he was considered a great hitter even back then. So first basemen have a limited um, utility uh, because they can only play one position typically. And if that's the case, then you only have you're, you're, you're basically drafting them as a bat, and that's it. Yeah. And they typically don't run well, uh, so th- th- there's not a lot of value. You seldom see in the first round a first baseman taken, and that's why. I, I want to get into the Jose Ramirez. Uh, here in a little bit, but before I do that, I, I, I want to switch over to the Reds very quickly, Mark. And you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but Robert Stevenson really got shelled in his his pitching performance last week. Well, it's it's not bad news when you you've heard it the last seven years. Yeah, uh, that's it's called redundancy. And uh, in his case. Um, I don't know what's wrong with his head because it, there doesn't appear to be anything wrong with his arm. I mean, he was throwing the ball 96, 97 miles an hour. It looked to me he had a, he had a good uh, fork ball or, or cutter and and cutter, and he, he just uh, makes bad pitches at bad times. And he, he you know he looks. What bothers me about him? Every pitch is max effort. He lunges at the plate. He doesn't have a controlled release point, and he, uh, unlike Malley, as an example, who is very controlled, although he, he didn't pitch well the last month, but his his approach it's repeatable, and it, it's very smooth, and it's it's power without effort, and with with Stevenson, everything is max effort, and I, I don't know how, maybe he just feels physically he doesn't have the arm strength just to have that smooth, what they call easy gas, where a guy throws gas, but he, he doesn't look like he's humping up on every pitch to do it. He, it just comes out of his hand smoothly. And, and most major league pitchers, when they reach that level, that's why they're there, is because they can throw 97, 98. It looks like they're throwing 85, and not Stevenson. I mean, when I saw him pitch again the other night, he lunges at the plate. And when you do that, it means the ball stays up. And when the ball stays up, the ball gets hammered. And that's what happens to him. He gets behind, he kind of panics, and he tries to overthrow the ball all the time. And I don't know. If you haven't fixed it in seven years, Dave, I don't know how you're going to fix it. You know, and, and you know what that tells me right off the bat, Mark? He doesn't trust his stuff. Yeah, I mean, he. he I think he gives the hitters too much credit. But the problem, he's always pitching from behind. It's always 2-1 or 3-1 or 2-0, and he's got to come in with a fastball. And <laughs> hitting speed today in Major League Baseball is 97, 98, 99. Those guys can pull that stuff. It didn't matter. I mean, it, Major League hitters are geared for that. They're, they, they, you have high school players throwing 95, 96. Yeah. So they, these kids learn to hit that fastball you know, when they're 16, and you can't get one by them. So unless you have something else like location, like you know where you're pitching the ball, uh, you're going to get hit pretty hard in the big leagues. You saw the game he pitched last week, correct? Yes, I did. Did he shake off Barnhart a lot? No. I actually noticed that. Um, he, I did not notice it. Uh, he, I think he has learned the lesson there. But it's all location. Yeah. And it's 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 control. It's not like he's throwing the ball to the backstop. He's not. He, he he's missing three inches low and maybe two inches high. And if you miss two inches high, you're going to get ripped. And w- what he does, it's called being wild in the zone. Mm-hmm. The strike zone is, is a catcher, Dave. You know exactly where that what that is. But when you're wild in the zone, it means you throw it right down the middle of the plate as opposed to two inches off the plate or two inches outside or inside yeah. or low, an inch low or an inch high. You don't throw it over the middle of the plate, and that's what he does. He makes mistakes 
his, a couple of his breaking balls were like on a tee. Like he just said, here, I'm going to throw it right down the middle of the plate, and guys will hit it. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that you know, and that's the key, I think, to the Indians pitching staff. They pitch pretty much ahead all the time. They're always ahead in the count. And that key pitch, as you and I both know, Mark, I don't know how much how much emphasis you put on the third pitch to a batter, especially when the count is one and one. Uh, that is the key pitch of any at bat, I think, for a pitcher. Well, I I, I agree with that, but I, I think the equally key pitch is the first pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you if you can get ahead, if you establish that you're a first pitch strike a strike thrower, okay. That doesn't mean that you have to throw a strike every first pitch because at some point, if guys begin to, ex, you know, expect it, oh, he's going to throw me a first pitch strike, then they might go out of the zone if you miss one because they're thinking, oh, he's going to throw a strike, and you don't, and they swing at it, and you get soft contact or, you, you know, you get a swing and a miss. But you have to establish that first pitch that eight out of ten times it's going to be a strike. That'll make guys go up there and swing the bat. And don't forget, fans don't understand that you can throw the ball down the middle of the plate in a Major League Baseball game, and seven times out of ten, it's going to be a strike or an out. Yeah. Think about that, because the best hitters in baseball make an out seven times out of ten. And if you if you learn to throw the ball over the middle of the plate, you're going to get statistically a lot of outs. The other thing people don't understand, in batting practice, this is batting practice. I sound like that basketball player. <laughs> um, that major league hitters hit about 425 to 450 in batting practice. That means guys throwing it over the middle of the plate, 65 miles an hour, Guys are going to pop it up. They're going to ground out. They're going to hit off the end of the bat. They're going to swing and they won't swing and miss. But just the fact that baseball statistically means you're going to make more outs than you are hits. <laughs> and pitchers, it's it's amazing to me that when they come to the big leagues, this kid has been in this organization. He's no longer a kid for for what seven years, and he still can't throw a strike when he needs to. That is just it's it's mind boggling. And this, don't forget, this guy was a first-round draft pick, and he was supposed to be the ace of the staff four years ago, and he's not. Well, that leads us to our trivia question tonight, Mark, and I'm going to ask you, what Reds player made his debut on this date in 1986? And I'll even give you a hint. He is a Hall of Famer. That should give it to you. 1986. 1986. A Reds player? A Reds player. Hall of Famer. On August the 13th. Eric Davis. Barry Larkin. Yeah, he was my second choice. <laughs> Barry Larkin made his debut. Boy, what uh, what a career that guy had. 198 homers, 960 RBIs, 379 stolen bases, a batting average of 295. I mean, what what a Hall of Fame career he had. And he came very, very close to not playing for the Reds after the second year. You, you know who they were going to trade as opposed to trading um, Barry Larkin? No, who? Kurt Stilwell. Oh, they boy. Had, they, <laughs> they were going to make a decision as opposed to do they keep Kurt Stilwell or Barry Larkin. And at one point, you know, the Reds had a chance to draft, um, oh, gosh. Derek um, Jeter. Derek Jeter. Yeah. And there was a question, okay, who would play second and who would play short if the Reds did draft him. Uh, but the Reds had the wisdom to draft Chad Matola, who I think he's in the Reds Hall of Fame, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I forget. Uh, he was only up for one year. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Uh, <clears throat> who who would have right played? Here. Who would have played second, Jeter or Larkin? I don't know. I mean, they they both probably would have been Hall of Famers at the, whatever position they played. True. I mean, Barry, I, I think Barry probably would have played because I think he was he was bigger. He was he was a bigger, stronger guy, and I, I think they they probably would have thought. I don't know. It, it, they're both physically. I think Jeter was six three, but he was very very thin when he came up. 
and they made it put him in second base. I, I, what a great problem to have. Yeah. You know, I want, I want to ask you, I want to, I want to jump back just a second to the Indians and the Reds playing on the weekend as opposed to during the weeknight. Do you think it would make that much of a difference? I do. Well, it would make a difference in as attendance. As far as attendance, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I think it would make a big difference. Uh, because you get a lot of people who would come from Cincinnati to Cleveland and vice versa to you know to go to the games. I think you get six sellouts if you did that. Uh, I think the Indians are probably selling out most of their games now anyway. But I think a lot of Indian fans would come down, you know, for a weekend series in Cincinnati and watch the Indians play. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things to do down here, as there is up in Cleveland, although the, the national media would make you think that there's not a lot. But, I mean, you got you got the Hall of Fame up there, Mark. you got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that if, if people came up on Friday night, they could go to, you know, and the game was on Saturday night, they could go to the Hall of Fame on Saturday afternoon, take in the game. They could still be home by Sunday night and be ready to work on Monday morning. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun stuff to do up there. I mean, even Akron has a, a lot of cool stuff in, in Canton. With the football Hall of Fame yeah. and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, but the Akron Canton area is not far, and uh, Cleveland is is just it's a great city now. And if you haven't been up there, for those of you here in Cincinnati and the Dayton area who have not been up there, it it is not your your father's Cleveland. It's it's really a you know well conceived city with a vibrant downtown, and um, the only thing I don't like about Cleveland is the damn weather. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> You know, it's lake effect snow in the wintertime, and it's it can be pretty gruesome. But uh, in the summertime, a fun place to go. I, I know a lot of people, you know, during football season, a lot of people go up to the Bengals-Browns game from Cincinnati. Same thing. They oh, come down here. Absolutely. That's what I mean. It, it's You'd have six sellouts if you did that. Yeah. And I can I can guarantee you tonight will not be sold out. No. No. It, it, it won't be – um, yeah, it it just won't be. I, I'm thinking of going in the next two nights. Uh, Kluber pitches tomorrow night, and then, of course, uh, Bieber. I'd really love to see Bieber pitch. Now, is Bieber an afternoon game, or is that a night game? That's a night game. They're all at night. Oh, okay. Yeah, isn't that goofy? You know. I'm, I'm going to check my schedule again. Maybe I can meet you down there. <laughs> hey, let you buy me hot dog. There you go. Hey, Jose Ramirez, I want to talk a little bit about him. Mark, I know you've seen him play. A few times, not as many as I have, but there's a guy that I that I think he resembles, except for the fact that he's a switch hitter. And Joe Morgan was only a left-handed hitter, but Jose Ramirez, Mark, reminds me a lot of Joe Morgan. Do you, do you see? I know you haven't seen as much of Ramirez as I have, but do you see the similarities where I see them? I really don't. Um, I think he's got. Uh, number one, he doesn't have the speed of, of Joe. Uh, I don't know how he is defensively. I think he's pretty, uh, probably as good or better than Joe. Joe is an okay defensive second baseman. But offensively, uh, statistically, I see the similarities, but their swings look a lot different to me. Yeah. Uh, the um, Yeah, I'm not sure I see. There's not a lot of guys with that kind of power switch hitting. Uh, he, he's he's got some serious jack, and uh, that I mean that that middle of the Cleveland lineup, his first four or five players, that's as good as any in baseball. Do you know there's no players in or there's no team in baseball right now that has four players with over 20 home runs, except for the Indians. It's an interesting yeah, stat. Yeah, the Reds had I think the Reds had five or six last year. Yeah. Uh, that, Right now, right now, Ramirez is leading the way with 34. He's two behind J.D. Martinez, who got the American League Player of the Week, by the way. Um, then you've got Francisco Lindor with 29. Encarnacion has got 25, and Yonder Alonso has 20. Do you think Lindor is going to stay at shortstop? Yes. As he gets older? Yes. Yes. Because to me, I saw him play when he first came up. I was it three years ago or two years ago? Yeah, three years ago. Um, and he looked very thin to me. And maybe he's in the weight room, but he's filling out. Yeah, he he's is. Gonna be a big, he's going to be a big boy. And I just I, I don't see him play every day at shortstop. I mean, right now I think he's a fantastic shortstop. But you wonder if he, his body type is going to outgrow shortstop. 
and you know, only time will tell. But some of these guys, they get into a weight program and start eating like they eat, and, and I mean, he could gain 20 pounds real quick, and he, maybe he, he's a future third baseman or left fielder. I don't know, but um, that, that is something that I think people were hoping was going to happen to Billy Hamilton. You know, get stronger, and but he he hasn't. He looks like he's a Biafran refugee. Yeah. But Lindor, he's filling out, and I noticed his legs and his butt. I mean, he, he's he's a well built young man. Yeah, yeah, he he really is. But you know, and and I know this is for next year, but I think the Indians' plan next season is to move Ramirez to second base and just put Diaz at third and and let him play. Um, and then what they do with Kipnis, I, I really have no idea, Mark. I know Kipnis has started to hit the ball as of late, um, but, you know, you and I have had discussions about him that he just has – he lets too many things bother him, in, in my opinion. So we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens. I know it, it's, it's a situation that the Indians are really going to have to take a look at, and that's that second-base position. And that's a position, Mark – the Reds are going to have to take a look at, too, because Scooter Jeanette is really putting on a PR campaign to stay in Cincinnati. Yeah, I saw that in the paper, the Cincinnati paper, uh, anyway, that they he, he was out and out saying, hey, look, sign me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stay here for four or five years. Make me an offer. And it, it sounded to me as if he would be willing to give a hometown discount because this is his hometown. He was born and raised in Lebanon, Ohio, not far from here. So he's uh, he's a guy campaigning, and you know he's playing a much better second base than he did last year, and even earlier this year because he's he, people don't know this, but he's had a, a very sore right shoulder, throwing shoulder, and it really impacted him on the turn of a double play or a ball in the hole. He's not a great second baseman, but the Reds lineup, when healthy, and it's going to be healthy next year, I hope. Uh, that is a that is a frightening lineup. I mean, you have to you have to go all the way down to you know number eight. You find a, a, a Tucker Barnhart. Uh, he normally hits eight, uh, and and he's a switch hitter hitting two fifty two sixty. He's got home run power. Had a big double the other night. Uh, that, that's a tough lineup to get through. Mark, with all with all the injuries to the outfield that the Reds have sustained right now. They were playing some good baseball, not, not just good. They were playing some outstanding baseball up until those injuries hit and, of course, the Duvall trade. What now do you see as a successful ending to this season for the Reds? If they could, if they could play 500 ball between now and the end of the year, given the injuries to that outfield position, I think Jim Ruggleman should be rehired. Uh, this is going to be you know, testing his mettle. You don't think and it's they, a foregone conclusion already that he's going to be rehired? No, I don't. Really? I, I think no. I, I think September is going to tell the tale, and it, it's he'll have a chance because don't forget, you're going to be playing a lot of teams in September that are not in the pennant race, and they're going to bring be bringing up young players, and that's where you look at the numbers statistically. A lot of offensive players get healthy in September and in. In, in April, because a lot of rookies coming in, uh, and in September, you see the Reds. Well, they, they do play some teams that are competing. They, they play St. Louis, Pittsburgh, San Diego, the Dodgers, the Cubs, Milwaukee, Miami, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh again. So they've got some teams that are independent race, but they also have probably you know, 12, 13 games against teams that are already out of it, which means they're going to bring up a lot of young kids and, and, and again offensive players can get healthy over that but if the Reds with their I'm, I'm talking about now their 40 their 40 man roster not their 25 man roster yeah they've got some talent that they can now leverage into people who can help them in 2019 they've got some trading chits down there and they got some things they could they could make big trades if they want to include a Sinzel or Taylor Trammell uh, they, they've got some talent, uh, even a hundred green. I mean, who, what would you give up? What would you, what could you get? Assuming he's healthy right. for a healthy hunter green. Could right. you get Noah? <laughs> could you get Noah Syndergaard? Could you get, uh, you know, somebody else of that ilk with, with a Taylor Trammell combination with, with somebody else? I think you could. And if the Reds make the, the determination, I think, 
in my opinion, the Reds have to make two major trades, or maybe three major trades or acquisitions going into 2019. They need two reliable starting pitchers. They don't have to be number one guys. Because I think Tony Discaflani, the way he pitched the other day, he was overpowering Arizona. I mean, he blew them away. And this is a contending team with one of the best offensive in baseball. And he just he shut them down. So if you need two starting pitchers, and you've heard me say this now for five years, you need a new center fielder. You need a center fielder who is not as good as Billy Hamilton. That will be granted. But somebody who can hit 275 to, to 300, hit 20 home runs, and maybe it's Taylor Trammell. Maybe that's the guy. I don't know. But th- this guy plays great defense. Uh, he may be a year away. But I-, I looked up, Billy Hamilton this year has caught six what they call five-star catches. He leads the major leagues with somebody else, and I forgot who it is now, who has six, half a dozen, five-star catches, the best catch you can make. And it means that only 10% of all baseball players would have made that catch. Mm-hmm. Okay, And he has, I think, 11 four-star catches. Now, that means I think only 25% of the players could have caught those balls. Now, of those 16, or I guess it would be 17 catches he made, the Reds only won four of those games, which means he is playing great defense, granted, but it's not translating into the Reds winning. And I just wonder, I just wonder how much are you giving up by not having those balls caught? You, you lost, you lost most of the games anyway. Granted, he made some unbelievable catchers, catches that won, I'm sure, you know, half a dozen or more games this year. But if you are giving away more games because of a lack of offense, then it, it, does, it makes no sense. And don't forget, Dave, that most major league center fielders, they will make 95% of those catches that, that Billy Hamilton get, gets to. Right. So it's that very, very small percentage of balls he gets to that nobody else can, but do they make you win more games, and do they make you win a division or a pennant? And the answer is no. And you brought up Encarnacion. You know, the Reds traded him for Scott Rowland several years ago, and in the short term it looked like a pretty good deal. Long term, not so good. And the reason they traded him and I, I, I spent, I remember, like two hours on the computer one night figuring this out. The last year he played, last full year he played for the Reds, he made 22 errors, which is a lot for, for a third baseman. Okay? Now, of those games, of those 22 errors and, 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 and the games that he, he made errors in, the Reds won 17 of those games. <laughs> okay. That, that, that means that his error had no impact on the game. Right. They, they won anyway. They won despite the error. Of the games they lost where he made an error, only one of those, it was a throwing error against the Mets. <laughs> I remember the game. It was a throwing, and people went nuts. He threw a ball away in the ninth inning, uh, I think, and two runs scored, and the Reds lost. And they, people were going nuts. That was the only game where he made an error where it had a direct impact on the outcome of the game, where the Reds lost. Mm-hmm. And I, I began to think and I began to look at, at more and more uh, critically at these defensive metrics. But if you're saying – I know there's more to defense than errors. It's balls you can't get to. to I understand all that. But if you look, just look at the errors. The Reds traded away a guy who might go to the Hall of Fame now <laughs> because he made one error that cost them a game. Yeah. I, I don't think major league teams look at the impact defensive has, defense has on the outcome of a game. And I wish they would do more of that because I think you'd have a different lineup if you did. Well, there's only one player in Major League Baseball right now, Mark, that has hit 30 home runs or more 
in five consecutive seasons. Do you know who that is? Encarnacion. Encarnacion. And he could make it six this year. He's only five away from it. And he'll he'll be back in a week and a half. He really did not want to go on the DL. He did not want to go on the DL. But the the, uh, Indians decided that for this Red Series, they needed an extra bat. Uh, just because of the double switch situations that happen in a National League park. so You know, I have a prediction. I think he's going to come back. He'll have a 10-day rest. He probably can still work out if he's not that you know badly hurt. Yeah. And I, I think that rest in the middle of the season is just great for a player. I he's do, too. Get a, he'll get a second wind, and I bet he tears it up the last six weeks of the year. Boy, I hope so. I, I hope so. I think he was with the big reason that the Indians lost that series to the Yankees last year when they were up 2 nothing, and he, he went down in game one uh, yeah. and couldn't play again. You know, you brought up last week an interesting situation. I mean, you made a, you made a very valiant argument about the Red Sox, and I had to go back and I had to look and see when the Indians play the Red Sox this year. And lo and behold, guess what? It's next week. The Indians will be at Boston to play the Red Sox for the first time this year. Can you believe it, Mark? This is the first time. That's amazing. Yeah, that they're going to play the Red Sox this year. They're going to play them at Fenway Park on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon. Now, that's to me, that's going to give me an idea of just how the Indians will match up against right now the best team in the American League and probably all of baseball. And then the Red Sox are going to come to Cleveland in September towards the end of the year, Mark. They're playing the Indians on September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday at at Progressive Field. So um, they're going to play seven times before this season comes to a close. And if all goes according to Hoyle, they, they could play some extra games in the postseason. Absolutely, and, and right now the way the Red Sox are playing, uh, you know, I, I think they have a chance to win, you know, win that series against the Indians. But you're right; it would be a good test, especially if they could, could match up the top two starters on both teams against each other, you know, during the during that series. That'd be that would be very revealing as to where those teams are against each other. You know, right right now the Indians have a 12 game lead in the American League Central. They're up on Minnesota. But you know the team that's interesting to me right now, Mark? The White Sox. Seattle. Well, they've been interesting all year. Yeah. I mean, they've they been just, playing. They just swept four in a row from Houston. Yeah, and they did it without Hernandez, who's in the bullpen. Yeah. They're King only Felix. King Felix in the bullpen. Do you believe that? Yeah, I do. I, I, you forget, time goes so fast. He, he's in his 30s now, and, uh, you know, he, he doesn't. I saw him pitch the other day, and, golly, he's lost a lot on that fastball. Yeah. And uh, his, his his slider was the most devastating slider I'd seen for a long time. I mean, it, it looked like a right-handed Steve Carlton, the way he would throw that ball. and But he, he got hammered. The, the game I saw, I thought it was an aberration, that he got hammered. And it, but apparently he's been getting hammered most of the year, and he, they put him in the bullpen, which only tells you how strong the starting rotation is for Seattle. Yeah, I, I love stories like that where a team is not expected to to do what they have done, and uh, they have a chance to make the playoffs in that Western Division. But but look look at Oakland. Yeah. I mean that's another another surprise team. Who's, Who would have thunk? Who, I'm going to ask you this. This one might stump you. Who's the Seattle Ace right now? I don't know. Mike Leak. That's right. I knew he got traded to them this year from the Cardinals, but uh, that's good to hear. And, you know, he's an American League pitcher, too. I mean, he doesn't throw that hard. He's got good control, and uh, I'm I'm glad to see that for him. Oakland two and a half behind Houston. Seattle four games behind Houston. But if you're Aaron Boone, I mean, if you're, if you're the Yankees manager, I love this because you wake up on Monday morning and you look at your record and you're 31 games over 500, 74 and 43. That's the good news. The bad news is you're still nine and a half games out of first place in the East. Yeah, but so what? I mean, they're going to make the playoffs. <laughs> they're they're going to get a wild card. 
uh, and they're going to be in the playoffs. And as long as they're playing that kind of baseball, they can beat anybody, including Boston. And even though Boston cleaned their clock, it was the last weekend or weekend before? Yeah. Uh, swept them with four games. Uh, that, to me, that doesn't mean anything. It, it's Once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. And I wouldn't want to play the Yankees with that offense they've got. And th- I think the Yankees made a mistake by not getting a, a number one knockout starting pitcher. Now, I, don't, I don't know who it would be. Cole Hamels. But, yeah, yeah. They yeah. should have got Cole Hamels. Yeah, they should have went after him. Yeah, they should have got somebody like that. Although, he's not. To, to me, Cole Hamels is now a four or five starter. I don't see him as, a, as an ace of, of any team, including the Cubs. But, you know, his his stuff, I don't think, is what you go out there and trade to, you know, former number one picks for if, you, if you're the Yankees. But uh, I don't know who I would have targeted if mm-hmm. I was the Yankees, but they needed to shore up that starting pitching, and they yeah. didn't. If, and I think it's going to come back to haunt them, against, uh, especially in the playoffs. I would have gone after Mike Fires of Detroit. I, I yep. would have, yeah. I'd have yep. gone, you know, and Oakland ended up with him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, great. O- o- Oakland is exciting. I mean, they, yeah. they're they trying to win it, and that's what I like about Billy Bean. He he will he will make the move, you know. Hey, by the way, I wanted to ask you if you saw the game yesterday, or on uh, Saturday night, the Reds game against Arizona. <clears throat> no, I was watching the Indians game. Okay. Well, an interesting situation came up where – uh, the Indians, uh, let me see, who was it? They walked. The Diamondbacks? Uh, I'm sorry, the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks, I, I think it was, uh, who was the right-hand hitter? Oh, they they walked Peraza. They, the first base was open in, in the eighth inning in a, in a tight ball game, and a, a left-handed pitcher walked Peraza to face Votto. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. And they said it was the first time since 2012 that Joey Votto that that had happened. Somebody was walked ahead of Joey Votto, and apparently that's when uh, the last time it happened because I think he hit a three-run home run that day. And yesterday or on Saturday, he I think it was a second pitch, first or second pitch, he lined as a left field RBI single, and. You know, it, it's funny. He got on first base, and he had this look on his face like, really? Yeah. You're going to walk Peraza to get to me? Watch this. And he he's put a rope in the left field. The left-hander threw a slider on the outside corner, and Vado, that that's his sweet meat. You know, he just yeah. went out and nailed it. But when you look at his numbers this year, he's having a down year for Joey Votto. Everything is down. Uh, he, he's hitting 290. Mark, Mark, he 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 couldn't improve upon last year. No, he couldn't. But his numbers are way down. Yeah. But you know, he had he had 36 home runs last year. He's got nine this year, and he's only got 55 RBIs. But the, the reason he every, everyone is saying that they're pitching around him, which has led to Suarez, who's hitting behind him to lead the National League in RBIs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Votto has a, a, a positive impact even when his numbers aren't great. Oh, yeah. But he but he's still hitting 290, and his on base percentage is 435, yeah. <laughs> which is second or third in the league. And, uh, but he had, he's down in RBIs, and he's down on power. Mark, the, the National League East is really an interesting division because you've got, you've got two teams – that for years have been at the bottom of that division, and now all of a sudden they're battling it out for the top spot in Atlanta, who's got a half-game lead over Philadelphia. Who's got the advantage between those two? Washington. <laughs> Even after last, you know, last night's loss could destroy the Nationals. Well, it could. Um, I still think that I don't know how you hold that team down. Uh, this long, it's, I mean, it's it's just it's surprising me anyway that they are not uh, running away with that division when you have the two best teams are Philadelphia and Atlanta. Uh, is it the manager? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. That was my next segue. Do they miss Dusty Baker more than they're letting on? Well, they would never say it if they were. 
but that new manager talked about. I, I don't know how long. Yeah, Dave Hernandez, first year. Yeah, I, I don't know how long his contract is for, but man, you can't have that happen. You know what I mean? It's, no. it's just uh, that team has so much money invested in it, and their window of opportunity with Bryce Harper probably going to leave next year. I, mean, I, I don't think they're going to sign him back. Anybody who signs that guy for $300 million has got a screw loose. He's not that good. And he, I think he's played himself out of that kind of yeah. contract. Yeah. But w- w- you look at that the roster of that team, Dave. I mean, offensively and defensively, that is that is the best team on paper in baseball. There's no other way to say it. And, yeah, yet, that, and that Soto kid's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that kid's real good. Yeah. So he, he's only 19 years old. Yeah. <laughs> That's what. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I don't think that that team uh, should be discounted at this point. Uh, you know, the I think the Phillies and the, and the uh, Braves are okay teams, but the Reds, you know, the Reds handled both those teams this year. I think they won four out of six against Atlanta, and they and they won three out of four against the Phillies the last time they played them. So they're not. Um, that, that game last night, though, four runs in the ninth oh. inning against the Cubs, that, that was a uh, yeah. God dang. You know, grand when I was in Chicago last weekend, uh, there was a lot of talk. And I wanted to bring these questions up to you last week, but I didn't get the opportunity. I'm going to bring them up this week. Is Dusty Baker a Hall of Fame manager? I don't think so. Um, he's a good manager. Uh, maybe one of the top 10 or 15 managers. But he's never won a World Series. No. And I don't know how you become a Hall of Fame manager if you don't win a World Series. Okay. I said if he is, it's just by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin. Well, again, he's a very, very good manager. There's no question about that. The players love him. They love to play for him. But I think he's done. I, I don't think he'll he'll manage again. He's, what, 68 years old? Oh, he's, he's, I think he's older than that, isn't he? In his 70s? I don't think so. He was surprisingly young, you know, younger than I thought. But maybe he's certainly close to 70. Yeah. And either way, I think he's had his chances. Uh, he he had really good teams in San Francisco. He had great teams in Cincinnati. And he had an unbelievably good team in Washington. And he wasn't able to win. So I don't know why. Uh, but he came so close. I remember, you know, when, when they played uh, – I guess they played uh, the a uh, the Angels. The Giants played the Angels and lost that uh, that World Series. Don't forget they were ahead in the eighth inning of the sixth game. Yeah, and they they lost that game. They lost the seventh game. So he has had so many chances. A lot of guys like Dave Bristol. Dave Bristol, I think, could have been a Hall of Fame manager had he stayed one more year with Cincinnati. Yeah. Because he he was a very very good manager, a lot better than than Sparky, but uh, he didn't have the talent that Sparky got in 1970. Okay, so let's so. go the other way. Let, let's go the other way. I I I know who I'm going to say. I think I know who you're going to say. Who is the most overrated manager in baseball today? Today. Today. As we speak. <clears throat> Monday, August 13th, 2018. Who is the most overrated manager? Oh, I, I know who, who, who you're going to say, and I agree with you. The Angels manager. Mike Sosha. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how he does it. He yeah. must have pictures. I, yeah. Yeah, that's the only you – know, and a couple of weeks ago it came out that he was going to retire after this season, and, boy, did he vehemently deny that. I think he was ready to hit the the sportscaster that came out with that story. I don't know how he, he cannot retire. <laughs> I mean, how can he be surprised? Yeah. Given the, the lack of, of, of winning percentage for a team that had arguably the best roster in baseball several times of the last five or six years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, this one I can't answer. I just I don't have an answer for it. Um, who is the most overrated manager of all time? Mm, I know. To go back a I could tell you right now. I know who my father would say is the most overrated manager of all time. 
Well, I would say, again, depending how far back you go, I'd say Casey Stengel. Okay. My, my, or, Connie, or Connie Mack. Connie Mack, boy, oh, boy. Why would you say Connie Mack? Because he managed for 50 years and he never won a World Series. Well, that, that's true. Well, he never, I mean, he never 50, wore a uniform either. No, he never wore, he always wore a suit on, yeah. the, on the on the bench. But uh, I think that, that Yankees team, <laughs> you and I could have managed that team and won that, you know, won several World Series. So, I, hey, you know, Casey, Casey Stengel won 40 games at the first year of the New York Mets. Well, my my point. <laughs> uh, anybody can win with Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris and and that that team, but uh, he don't forget he was a bad manager before the Yankees and he was a bad manager after the Yankees. So I, I don't think that he I think he was way overrated for again anybody could have won with that team, but they, they said the most underrated manager of all time was Gene Mock. Oh was, oh yes, boy that's a name. Yeah, and he, he he managed the Angels and he managed the yeah. Phillies when the Phillies were horrific. And the Twins. And, and the Twins, yeah, that's right. So he he was a very, very good manager. But you have to decide when you're defining a manager, are you talking about the how to the X's, X's and O's of a baseball game? Because if you are, there's a million great managers that know when to hit and run and know when to bunt and – it's it's the subjective part of being a manager where you're managing 25 huge egos and keeping everybody from getting into a fistfight. Uh, that's what a real manager does. They, they manage the players and the personalities and the egos and all that stuff. You're almost like a psychologist rather than a, a baseball manager. You know, you know, who, uh, people are sitting out there wondering, okay, who who's Dave's dad think is the most overrated manager? I'm going to tell you. Mark, you're going to go nuts over this one. Sparky Anderson. I can't disagree with that. I really can't. I, I don't think Sparky was that good a manager. He, uh, he, at the Reds won in many cases despite him. Um, but again, Dave, if you put, you could have plucked any of the other managers in Major League Baseball and given them the Cincinnati Reds team and they would have won. And would they have won the World Series? Who knows? They would have won. Because there was so much talent on that team, uh, it, it was it was bewildering how much talent they had. Well, let me ask but, you. Too, let me ask you this: In your lifetime, who's the best Reds manager you've ever seen? Hmm. And then I'll tell you the one I've seen for the Indians. You're not going to believe the one I'm going to say for the Indians. I would say Fred Hutchinson. In, in my lifetime. Okay. Uh, was the was the best X's and O manager? I don't know what he was like. Uh, he was a tough son of a gun. He's former Marine, um, but I, I I always thought he was really really a good manager. The best manager I've ever seen for the Indians, Pat Corrales. Oh gosh, former Red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Backup catcher to bench. That's right. For years, I you know yeah. that that team that he had. In 85, where he took all of that youth and no pitching and had them on the – Mark, Mark he, he managed a team that had little to nothing there and had them on the cover of Sports Illustrated for the next season as World Series contenders. I, I just – I just thought. Yeah, but what did they do the next year? Oh, they went right. They, yeah, they they peed down their leg. <laughs> they finished last, I think. Yeah, I, I think they did. I think they did too. Come, you know, come to think of it. But let's let's not let's not argue over facts here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let, let's not do that. You know, but yeah, I mean, it, it's always interesting to go down, uh, you know, the past and take a look at you know. What what has happened and how things? I mean, I'm I'm always fascinated by the fact that, you know, when you bring up Dave Bristol, and just one more season, and he could he could have been, you know, Sparky Anderson would have been a nobody. You know. Yeah, and I think Dave Bristol was twice the manager that Sparky was. I, I'll, I'll tell. You, how about this one, Walter Alston? If Walter Alston, if Walter Alston doesn't get sick in spring training. Tommy Lasorda may have ended up in Philadelphia. 
Yeah, that's true. And I, well, I thought you were going to say you questioned Walter Austin. I think Walter Austin was a good, very good manager. Oh yeah, and he he handled all of it. But you know, you, you have to align your manager with the character and the and the players you have on a roster, because not every manager is going to manage the same group of guys the same way. Some guys are like tough Marine type drill sergeants. They're not friendly with the players. They're they're not what they're not. Uh, player managers, uh, guys hate their guts. Like Billy Martin when he managed AAs, or, and, you know, managed every place. The players hated him, but they won. And so, what, what, what's more important? You need to line up your manager, personality-wise, with your team. So that's why that decision. The Reds are going to make that decision in the next few months. They have they have a young team. And is Jim Riggleman the guy that can relate to those players and get them to the next level? Or should they bring in somebody younger who is maybe in his 30s who could be around for the next 10 years and take this team to four World Series? You know, while you were talking there, a name popped into my head as the most overrated manager, and I think you might agree with us. Alvin Dark. Yes. Uh, that, That guy took over that that 74 team for Oakland when Dick Williams quit and that team was ready-made that you, you talk about a ready-made team with Sparky that 74 team was ready-made. They had already won two world series and they were primed for another four or five. And I'm not kidding. I think you'd agree with that. They were primed for another four or five world series titles had it not been for free agency and Charlie Finley. Well, Alvin dark was one of the most hated managers in baseball by his team, by his players. Everybody hated him, but he won because that team didn't need a manager. I mean, the, the 76, 77, 75 Reds, uh, even maybe as far back as 73, those guys didn't need a manager. <laughs> you know, they went out there, and you had Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and Tony Perez and uh, Ken Griffey Jr. and Concepcion and Morgan, on and on and on and on. And they went out there, they knew exactly what they had to do, uh, and what people don't re- remember, like in 1975, where the Reds won 108 games that year, the, the great eight that played on that team, and somebody remember, be had Bench, Perez, Morgan, Concepcion, Rose, Foster, Geronimo, and Griffey. That was your that was your great eight that yeah. played that year. Guess how many games they played together as a team? There, it wasn't many. Yeah, it was only like what 22 or 23. 18. 18, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. he rested them. Yeah. And kept them fresh, you know, all year. Kept those guys rotated in and out. And that team still won 108 games. Imagine if they played every game. But, you know, it's that, that's the yeah. that's what a manager does. He doesn't – it's not when do you hit and run or when do you bunt or all that stuff. Uh, there's two major things. Who Who are your starting pitchers and how do you manage your bullpen? And Sparky was, of course, Captain Hook, and he brought the bullpen in uh, every game that they were in. But it worked for his team. You know, the most outstanding managerial job I've ever seen for the Reds was Lou Pinella in that 90 season, the way he handled those three relievers. Oh, yeah, the, the nasty boys. They yeah. were, uh... not, that not, was a... not just on the field, but off. <laughs> Well, he, you know, he he almost got into a fist fight with Rob Dibble. I mean, he he was not a beloved manager. He 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 managed through fear and intimidation, but with that team, it worked. Yeah, because they were a feisty bunch of guys who were ready to fight at the drop of a hat. You remember that play with Norm Charlton ran into Mike Sosha at home plate? Yes, knocked him about thirty feet. Yes, well, that I remember that game, and that that really propelled that team on, onto a winning streak. And that was a pitcher. That was Charlton coming in, lowering his shoulder and taking on a 230-pound catcher and knocking him on his butt. And that's that's the personality of that team, and that, that came from Lupinella. Remember when Rob Dibble, field, he just came back from a suspension that year, fielded, yeah, fielded the <laughs> suicide squeeze, and then threw the ball at the runner <laughs> running up the first baseline, and the umpire immediately threw Dibble out of the game. Pinella came out and never even argued. He just That's right. he just came out and just looked at the umpire. And, oh, okay. 
and and poor Dibble, he was he was gone. Yeah, yeah, I remember that game. Yeah. Well, Mark, what do the Reds have coming up after this week with the Indians? Well, they get they got a tough schedule coming up uh, the, the rest of the month, and I'm afraid they're not going to win a lot of games. But they got Cleveland for three games, and San Francisco coming in over the weekend. And then next week they go to Milwaukee and Chicago for, for seven games on the road, which uh, again this may be a, this could be the death knell for Jim Ruggleman if uh, if the Reds play poorly. Well, as far as the Reds are concerned, the Indians are concerned. I'm sorry. After the Reds series, they have got the Orioles coming to town for a three game set, and then like I said, next week they go to Boston to take on the Red Sox. So this should be. Fairly interesting, the team with one of the worst records in baseball, and then they play the team with the best record in baseball. We'll talk all about it next week, Mark. Have a good one, Dave. That's going to do it for tonight. Good night, Mark. That's going to do it for tonight's program for you here tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to you for listening here this evening as we brought to you this edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. We'll be back again next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next week, have a good week, everybody.